Amen. Let us pray. Lord, let us hear the story of our faith anew and again this morning. Help us to hear how it speaks to us now. Amen. The section of Matthew's gospel I'm about to read is jam-packed with miracles. Jesus is on the move in this part of the gospel. And I know when I read this text, it sometimes feels fast and urgent. Jesus is calling someone here and then answering a request for help here. And even while he heads out to help one person, someone else grabs his tunic and asks for healing. It feels almost like a graphic novel reads. We don't get a lot of dialogue or background. We get scene after scene. As you listen, notice how often the text tells us that as one thing was happening, suddenly or instantly another thing happened. Everyone around Jesus needs some kind of help, whether they know it or not. We're really reading three stories this morning, and when I read them quickly, they can merge a bit into one general impression that Jesus healed people who needed healing. And that is true. He did. He healed people. But this morning, we're going to dwell in these three stories a bit to really see these people and why Jesus helped them. And I hope we will see ourselves somewhere in here too. Now hear our lesson from Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13 and 18 to 26. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. Now when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners." While Jesus was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came in and knelt before Jesus, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Then suddenly a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the leader's house, He saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion there, and he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, Jesus went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up, and the report of this spread throughout the district. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
There are some common threads in these three stories. First of all, in each of these scenes, Jesus breaks the rules. Now that might sound odd to our ears as followers of a faith where we think Jesus makes the rules, but Jesus lived in a real context. He healed people against the backdrop of a Roman government that held power by maintaining a hierarchy of social classes, and he healed people against a backdrop of religious law. And religious law was sometimes more concerned about proper practice than it was about building community among people. Jesus refuses to be limited by either the rules of social class or the religious laws that would keep him away from anyone. And second, each time he steps over a dividing line, people challenge him. They question him, they laugh at him, and they try to put the boundary lines Jesus has crossed back into place. We see this as Jesus calls Matthew, a tax collector, to be one of his disciples. In that first scene in today's reading, Matthew is sitting in a sort of booth to collect taxes. It was probably on a thoroughfare where merchants and fishermen would have to pass to pay taxes to the Roman government on their goods or whatever fish they had caught that day. Picture a parking kiosk now. You have to go buy it to get in or get out, and you cannot leave until you've paid. Now, the amount may be wildly expensive, especially if you were only there 34 minutes. Or, in the ancient world, the government would be taxing you mercilessly on your daily catch. So tax collectors were despised in the ancient world. They were agents of an oppressive government And on top of that, many of them manipulated the system to line their own pockets. They were not the kind of folks others looked at and thought, now there's a person who's living out their faith. And Matthew was a Jew collaborating with that occupying government. But Jesus is not recruiting the people who appear to be righteous to be his followers. He wants the very people others detest. He doesn't even seem to stop when he gets up there to Matthew's tax kiosk. It sounds like he just picks Matthew up on his way by with the one phrase, follow me. In Greek, that little phrase is in the tense of a command, so Matthew does. He gets up and leaves his booth and joins the group of growing disciples. And they go together to what sounds to me like an extremely awkward dinner party, The folks at the dinner are also tax collectors, former colleagues of Matthew's maybe, and other people who are identified to us only as sinners. We don't know who they were. We don't know why they're called sinners. But the awkwardness comes when the Pharisees see what's going on. Pharisees, as you remember, are the keepers of the religious law, at least in their own minds. They appear a lot in the Gospels, always to challenge what Jesus is doing and to remind him what the law says. They come to tell him that he shouldn't associate with certain people. He shouldn't eat with tax collectors and sinners. He shouldn't touch those who are sick, dying, or dead. 
So the Pharisees interrupt the dinner to question Jesus' choice. But they speak to the disciples. They say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The implication is obvious. The Pharisees think the disciples are going to be tainted by their association with this rule breaker. Their reputations are going to suffer. Basically, they've chosen to follow the wrong person, and they should really rethink this whole thing. But when the Pharisees try to draw that line about who should be allowed to sit at the table, Jesus steps right over the line. He lets the Pharisees know that he has come to break those rules. He has invited tax collectors and sinners to the table on purpose. He's come to eat with those who are unwelcome and unloved and to forgive those who have done wrong. And he has come to teach the Pharisees a lesson at the table, too. He's subtle here. He doesn't name the Pharisees outright, but he says that he has come to call not the righteous, but sinners, because Jesus desires mercy and not sacrifice. Now, the Pharisees believed that they were the righteous. They practiced religious rituals, including religious ritual sacrifice. So when Jesus tells them that he has chosen these guests that they find so unsavory, he is telling them that they need his welcome too. The Pharisees are so concerned with the appropriateness of the guest list that they've missed the gift of being invited to the table. Jesus blows apart their notions about who is righteous and who's a sinner and tells them that they need mercy. To prove that very point, while Jesus is teaching this very lesson, suddenly a leader of the synagogue comes into the dinner party. This would have been a person who had kept religious law He would usually have preserved the very boundaries Jesus has been breaking at dinner. But in he comes, this temple leader. And instead of challenging what Jesus has said, he kneels down in front of him and asks for his help. His daughter has died, and he asks Jesus to break a rule and touch her. In the ancient world, those who were sick and dying and dead were considered to be unclean. And it was forbidden for religious leaders to touch them because uncleanliness was contagious. This desperate father knows those rules. He knows he's asking Jesus to risk being made unclean by touching his little girl. But he desires mercy too. His need for mercy is stronger than any rule about what is proper, what is allowed. So he interrupts the dinner and asks for a rule-breaking miracle. Jesus doesn't say a word. He just gets up and goes to find the little girl. As he and his followers are walking to do one miracle, suddenly a woman comes up behind Jesus and touches the fringe of his garment. She is also unclean. She's been bleeding for 12 years. There are a lot of thoughts about what that could mean. But we can worry less about what her particular ailment might have been and more about the fact that she is suffering with no cure and no end in sight. Whatever her condition was, 
It made everyone else uncomfortable. Worse than that, it meant that she could not be touched. No one would get close to her. So on top of enduring suffering in her body, she is a person who is alone, kept outside the interactions of the community. She's at the opposite end of the social spectrum from the father who has come to find Jesus. She is ritually unclean. He is a leader of the synagogue, someone who not only has status, but has preserved the very rules that kept this woman apart. She's a woman, and women in the ancient world had no standing, even if they were not ill. His daughter has died. Children, and especially girl children, had little value in the ancient world because half of all children didn't survive, and only boys could grow up to have social roles anyway. But here they both are, this woman and this father, desperate for help from someone who's willing to break the rules for them, desperate for someone to see a woman and to see a girl child as valuable enough to help. This woman seems to know that if she touches Jesus, he'll be unclean. So in an act of mercy of her own, she doesn't touch his body. She reaches out for his clothes, hoping that even that little bit of contact will be enough to change her life. And it does. Jesus doesn't shrug her off. He turns and speaks to her, this unacceptable, suffering person, with total compassion. Take heart, daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. He calls her by this most intimate name, daughter, on his way to heal another daughter. And instantly, the woman was made well. In the final of these stories so woven together in Matthew's gospel, Jesus arrives at that synagogue leader's home A crowd is already there, and the music has already started for a funeral. Jesus sends the crowd away because he intends to touch this girl and give her life again. But the crowd laughs. They don't believe that this ultimate boundary, the line between death and life, could ever be crossed. But again, Jesus crosses the line. He breaks the rule. He takes the girl's hand and she lives. These are stories about desiring mercy. Jesus wants mercy more than legalistic practice of faith. The temple leader wants mercy for his beloved child against all odds and all rules. The bleeding woman wants mercy so that she can live without suffering and have some kind of human interaction again. The Pharisees and the laughing crowd don't know it yet, but they need mercy too. And remarkably, Jesus has come to offer it to all of them. He has come to heal sinners and tax collectors, outcasts, the unwell, the unloved, even the dead. And he has come to break the rules about who is righteous and who is worthy. We, friends, are invited to find ourselves here maybe in several of these people who were transformed when they encountered our Lord. We are Matthew. We preserve the order of empire, but we're invited to join up with Jesus anyway. We are the Pharisees, 
We try to keep order and enforce rules, especially if the rules make us insiders. We are the sinners invited to our Lord's table for supper. We are the desperate father willing to do anything to save our loved one. We are the woman. We know illness in body, sometimes with no end in sight. We know the feeling that comes when our circumstances make everyone else too uncomfortable and so we stay away. We know what it is to be alone. And we are the funeral crowd. We laugh and disbelieve when we hear about a miracle. Jesus desires mercy. Do we? Do we desire mercy for others across all the lines? Do we desire mercy for ourselves enough to reach out or kneel down? Do we desire mercy enough to step over lines and offer it to each other? Jesus desires mercy. May we desire mercy too. Amen.